We read from the Holy Scriptures this morning, from the book of Judges, we begin to read in chapter 6, at verse 33, and we'll read into chapter 7 through verse 23. This is in the context of the history of Judge Gideon. The children of Israel had departed again from the ways of Jehovah. The Lord had given them into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. Finally, the people had cried out unto Jehovah. The Lord had sent a prophet, and now the angel of Jehovah has called Gideon to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Our text this morning is found in chapter 7, verses 2 through 8, where we see that the Lord determines the size of Gideon's army. 2 through 8 of chapter 7. I won't reread all of that part. We hear the word of God in Judges chapter 6, beginning of verse 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him, and he sent messengers unto Asher and unto Zebulun, unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so. For he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. For it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Mori in the valley. Here begin the words of our text. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, And there remained ten thousand. 
And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. The Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. So the people took vittles in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those three hundred men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Phura thy servant down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say. And afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then he went down with Phura his servant unto the outside of the armed men, that were in the host, and the Midianites, and the Amalekites, and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number, as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it, that it fell and overturned it, that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so... And Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped, and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And, behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands 
and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Beth Shittah in Zerarath, and to the border of Abel-Maholah unto Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, and out of Asher, and out of all Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. Thus far we read from God's holy word. As I said, our text this morning is found here in chapter 7, verses 2 through 8. 2 through 8. I'll reread at this time only verse 2. The Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the context of chapter 6, the angel of Jehovah had called Gideon to save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. The angel of the Lord had greeted Gideon with the words, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. But Gideon at this point seems far from being a hero. He was despondent and afraid. Gideon could not understand why God apparently had forsaken them, delivered them into the hands of the Midianites, could not understand why God did not come with wonders and deliverance. The Lord had assured Gideon that he would be with him and give him the victory. The Lord had said, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. The Lord had confirmed that by a wonderful sign. Gideon knew that God had accepted his offering. The Lord had led Gideon to purge his house of Baal worship. Gideon had thrown down the altar of Baal and had cut down the grove beside it, an altar and grove that had been in his own father's yard. And in its place, Gideon had built an altar to the Lord, upon which he sacrificed a bullock to Jehovah God. Gideon was now prepared to fight. When the Midianites and their allies had gathered together, pitched their tents in the valley of Jezreel, the Spirit of the Lord had come upon Gideon. Gideon had blown his trumpet and gathered his own family about him, He had sent messengers throughout his own tribe of Manasseh and also to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. And so Gideon had assembled a considerable army. The Lord had strengthened and confirmed Gideon's faith 
by that sign of the fleece, the double sign of the fleece, stimulated Gideon's faith in the power and resolve of Jehovah to bring salvation. Now Gideon was sure that God would not forsake his people. God would save Israel by his hand. And so by faith, Gideon had proceeded with his army of 32,000 men. They had risen early and pitched their tents beside the well of Herod. And there, below them to the north, in the valley by the hill of Mori, the Midianites were encamped. But Gideon is not to fight the Midianites with this army of 32,000 men. The Lord would determine the size of Gideon's army. The Lord would thin the ranks. He would sift, as it were, Gideon's army. And it would be to serve his own sovereign purpose. Beloved, this word of God must encourage and strengthen us. Also in the midst of the evil days in which we live, in which it sometimes appears that the faithful church will be overwhelmed by the powers of darkness. Truly, if God be for us, who can be against us? It's in this light that we consider our text under the theme, Jehovah's Sifting of Gideon's Army. We notice, first of all, the purpose, secondly, the manner, and finally, the significance. We must notice that Gideon was sorely outnumbered and outclassed right from the outset. Yes, Gideon had obtained an army of 32,000 men. But they were not experienced, trained soldiers. They were not a heavily armed war machine. This army was, for the most part, a group of crude and undisciplined civilians. This army of Gideon was hardly a formidable host to oppose the Midianites. For the Midianites had assembled in tremendous numbers. They had come, we read, as grasshoppers for multitude. They were so numerous that the Israelites could not escape them. In fear, many of the people dwelled in caves and dens in the mountains. From Judges chapter 8, verse 10, we see that Midian had an army of at least 135,000 men. There would be 120,000 men who would fall to Gideon's army. And the kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, would escape with 15,000 men. In addition, the Midianites were experienced fighters. They were not a rabble in arms. They were comprised a great and powerful army. They were ruthless, hardened soldiers. This great contrast was emphasized by the relative positions of their camps. 
Gideon's army was encamped directly above the camp of the Midianites. Gideon's men could look down toward the north and see that huge battle force of Midian arrayed before them in the valley. They could easily see, they could not help but see the tremendous odds they were up against. The comparative insignificance of Gideon's army was apparent. Likely the Midianite soldiers were very contemptuous of Gideon's small force gathered and camped above them. After all, the odds were better than four to one in favor of Midian. The Israelites must have looked down upon that Midianite encampment thinking, we are too few for this task. Surely this is an impossible mission. But now Jehovah came to speak to Gideon. As we read in verse 2, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Now at this point, Gideon's army was no doubt in need of encouragement. They needed something to boost their morale, something to bolster their courage, something to strengthen their faith. Reinforcements would certainly remedy the situation to some extent, but God's words had been, the people that are with thee are too many for me. How can it be? Why is Gideon's army too large? What could possibly be God's purpose in the sifting of Gideon's army, in the thinning of his ranks, in the downsizing of his army? Jehovah himself states his purpose. Jehovah reveals to Gideon the purpose of the sifting of his army. Our text expresses God's sovereign purpose in his sifting of Gideon's army from a negative point of view. We read, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, notice, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. You see, God's purpose in thinning Gideon's ranks was to destroy every possibility of their boasting in themselves. Literally, the word vaunt here means to glorify oneself, to assume the honor over one, to boast against. Surely it was conceivable that God might have used a very large, unconquerable army so that from a natural point of view, the Midianites could not stand before them in battle. God might have sent Gideon's army to defeat the Midianites by the strength of its own arm and by bow and sword and spear. But if God had used a mighty host to fight the Midianites, that host would likely 
have attributed the victory to itself. God's army must not be as the armies of this world, trusting in the arm of flesh, in arms and skill, numbers, weaponry. God's army must see without a shadow of a doubt that the victory cannot possibly be because of its own strength. Recall the words of the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 27 and following. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Surely no one can glory in what is foolish and weak and base and despised. But if there was any possibility that the victory came through wise things or mighty things, man would certainly boast in himself. He would say, Mine own hand hath saved me. Look at what I have accomplished. Our proud flesh is, oh, so ready to do just that. So positively, This means that God's sovereign purpose in determining the small size of Gideon's army is that the Israelites humble themselves before him. Israel must confess that victory is not through any strength or skill on her part. Israel must confess that there is nothing of man in her victory. God's sovereign purpose is that Israel say, The hand of the Lord hath saved me. Israel must see that Jehovah's hand has given her the victory. Israel must see that all power is in him alone. Therefore, the purpose of God's determination of Gideon's army is that he might receive all the praise and glory. Israel is to glory in the Lord. All her boasting is to be in him. Israel And the saints of all ages, and we with them, are to say with the Apostle Paul, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We should bear in mind that this purpose is based upon the very nature of God himself. Our God is the God of all glory. He reveals his glory in all of his marvelous attributes, his wisdom, majesty, power, righteousness, holiness, justice, truth, love, mercy, grace, all the rest. His glory is the radiation, the shining forth of his infinite virtues. His name is Jehovah. 
the I am, the absolutely independent one who has no need of any other creature. God is infinite in his perfections, distinct from every creature, and therefore he alone is glorious. Whatever glory there may be in the creature is only a faint reflection of the glory of God, the creator. The creature has no glory of itself. Man has nothing in himself of which to boast. He can glory in God alone. And in close connection, God is a jealous God. We heard that truth again this morning in the second commandment of his holy law. His jealousy is rooted in his love for himself. God loves himself as the highest good, as the most blessed God. He loves his people only for his own name's sake. Because God is a jealous God, he does not share his glory. He will not allow the creature to trample his infinite glory underfoot. He will not give his glory to another. And therefore, God could not allow Israel to vaunt themselves against him. If the Israelites believed that they had gained the victory through their own strength, they would certainly have boasted in themselves. So God sifts Gideon's army so that they cannot possibly glory in any but God alone. This sifting places in bold relief the truth that the victory is of the Lord. Notice, too, that this purpose is in harmony with the nature of these enemies who are antithetical foes, that is, spiritual opposites. On the one hand, there are the Midianites who represented the powers of darkness. The Midianites were nomadic tent dwellers from the desert region beyond Ammon and Moab. They were heathen idol worshippers. They hated God, the God of Israel and his cause. But they came not alone. They had effected a, a great coalition of Arabian tribes under their own leadership. We read in chapter 6, verse 3, the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east. Even they came up against them. And so they represented the wicked world powers. And we ought not overlook the fact that the Amalekites were involved. Amalek was of Esau, profane, wicked Esau. And therefore the Amalekites represented the reprobate, those hated of God. On the other hand, Israel represented God's cause in the midst of this world. Israel was God's covenant people. God had established his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their seed. God was ever faithful unto his beloved people. In spite of their many departures from his ways, especially 
obvious during these dark days of the judges. And repeatedly they had gone a-whoring after other gods. But God, in his faithfulness, chastened and restored. He would keep his promise. He would send the Messiah from their seed. Israel was the type of God's church, the elect. Canaan was typical of the kingdom of God. Canaan was the promised land. It pointed to the heavenly Canaan, the eternal Canaan. But there in Canaan, the kingdom of God was also very really present, essentially. And now it was time for the kingdom of God to replace the kingdom of darkness. It was time for Israel to be free from the Midianite oppression. The Midianites had filled their cup of iniquity and judgment had to come upon them. And God alone could accomplish that. Only God's power and grace could destroy the kingdom of darkness. Only God's power and grace could give his people the victory. There was no room for man's work, no room for the arm of flesh. Israel must proclaim salvation is of the Lord. All glory is his alone. And so Jehovah instructed Gideon, Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. This appeal which Gideon was directed to make was prescribed by God's law. It was to be made before every war in which Israel participated. We read of that in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8. There we read, And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. According to God's word, the fearful could have no place in Gideon's army. Fear in an undisciplined army like Gideon's would become panic. It would spread, becoming finally frenzied confusion. In their terror, the fearful would not go forth to fight in faith. But, under the present circumstances... Facing such seemingly insurmountable odds, what would be the result of such a charge? No doubt, many of those who had joined Gideon were, so to speak, already shaking in their boots as they looked down upon the Midianite hordes. Gideon must have thought that to make this announcement would be disastrous to his forces. Only by faith... Could Gideon obey the instruction of Jehovah? Humanly speaking, the situation was perilous the way it was without losing any of his recruits before the battle. But by faith, Gideon can do none other than issue this proclamation. By faith, Gideon could only trust in the word of Jehovah, Surely I will be with thee. And thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. 
What was the effect of this proclamation? We read, And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. Two-thirds of Gideon's army faded away. Two out of every three men were fearful and trembling. Gideon is left with an army of a mere 10,000 men, a pathetic force against the multitudes of the Midianites. Outwardly, from a human standpoint, Gideon's position looked hopeless. Two-thirds of his army had departed. Now he had a mere 10,000 men against the 135,000 of the Midianites. To fight against the Midianites with such an army certainly appeared to be a foolhardy venture, a venture doomed to failure. But in the eyes of Jehovah, Gideon's army is still too large. We read in verse 4, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. Jehovah wanted to so diminish Gideon's army that only a handful of men would remain. Literally, he would purge or prove them as gold or silver is separated by fire from the dross. Notice the form of this test. The words of Jehovah unto Gideon were, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. Now this test was at a stop to take a drink of water. And God assured Gideon that there would be two distinct styles of drinking. There would be those who would quickly bend down and scoop up water in their cupped hands and lap of the water with their tongues. And there would be those who knelt down to drink placing their lips directly to the water of the stream. By faith, Gideon obeys the instruction of Jehovah. And we read, And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And Jehovah told Gideon that by that small band of 300 that lapped, he would save him and deliver the Midianites into his hand. Gideon was to let all the others go to their homes. The 300 men would comprise Gideon's army. Now there are many different interpretations of this rather strange test. Some want to maintain that the 300 were the most faint-hearted. But surely it 
is unreasonable to suppose that where all those who were afraid had been dismissed already, in the end, the most faint-hearted would be chosen. If the faint-hearted were to comprise the army, the brave men would have been dismissed. And certainly God uses those who fight by faith in his army, not those who are faint-hearted and devoid of faith. Others assert that those who got down upon their knees and put their mouths directly to the water were actually Baal worshippers. They argue that this posture was natural for those who were practiced in the service of idols. These men were used to bowing down to pray to Baal, and instinctively they assumed that posture to get a drink. And so they say the manner of drinking was intended to show which men were Baal worshippers and which were not. But this view is also incorrect. Undoubtedly, it is true that some, perhaps many, of the 10,000 remaining soldiers had at some point been serving Baal for a time, but it's not at all necessary to say that every one of them had been a Baal worshiper. It's certainly not likely that only 300 men in Israel served Jehovah. But rather, this distinction in their manner of drinking surely does give some indication of their spiritual character. These acts of taking a drink showed how the soldiers felt. It revealed whether they were spiritually prepared to fight. It pointed out their spiritual qualifications or their lack of them. The 300 who did not take the time to kneel down but simply quickly dipped out a handful of water and lapped it from their cupped hands revealed their zeal for the cause. They were thinking only of being ready for battle, of being careful and watchful. They were eager eager to fight the battles of the Lord. By faith, they were ready to proceed. But those who knelt were spiritually unqualified for battle. They were concerned with themselves and their own creature comforts. These men were lacking in zeal for the cause of God. They had no spiritual alertness. They would not be able to proceed by faith. And therefore we see that Gideon is left with an army of but 300 men. But by these 300, God will save Gideon and deliver the Midianites into his hand. Gideon obediently sent the others to their tents after his army had taken provisions in their hand and their trumpets. They were ready to fight with the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now notice, beloved, that the Lord had so reduced Gideon's army that they could no longer fight in the ordinary way. God knew that if Gideon fought with a large army, the Israelites would boast in themselves. The army of 32,000 would surely look 
at its own strength, the army of 10,000 would still be inclined to look at external power and might. But an army of 300 could only look up to Jehovah. They couldn't fight with ordinary weapons, with sword and spear and bow. They could fight only by faith. They could fight only with torch and trumpet. So it did not end up Jehovah plus 300. No, the result of the sifting was that Jehovah alone would fight. Jehovah would have the victory. His words were, Arise, get thee down into the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. This sifting points to the fact that God's army is always the few and the weak. The enemy is always many and strong from an earthly point of view. We see that throughout the Old Testament scriptures. That was very evident in Israel's conquest of the land of Canaan. It was clear from Deborah and Barak's victory over Jabin's army during this period of the judges. It was certainly obvious from Samson's great victories over the Philistines. And throughout the new dispensation, the church is small and weak in comparison to the world. And from an outward point of view, the church's battles are always foolhardy undertakings, doomed to failure. The victory of the church is always a wonder of grace. And we can see then the foolishness of so many within the nominal church today. There are many who seek strength in numbers and in money. They cry out, we need more and more to do the Lord's work. They look at mere numbers, at external power and might. They are eager to boast in what man has done the number of supposed decisions for Christ that they have obtained, or the number of names on the membership rolls of the church, or in the plush church facilities, sometimes very elegant complexes. They vaunt themselves against the Lord. They say, mine own hand hath saved me. Be not deceived. And so, beloved, never never bemoan the fact that you are a part of a small, relatively small, often despised denomination. Never bemoan the fact that you as a congregation are not a mega church. The church is not a numbers game. Strength is not in numbers. Strength is in the arm of Jehovah. Strength 
is in the power of faith. Only by faith could Gideon's army fight against the powerful hosts of Midian. Without faith, Israel had no zeal. Without faith, Israel could only fear and despair. But faith gave the 300 men of Gideon's army the spiritual zeal that would overcome these seemingly insurmountable odds. Faith, as the evidence of things unseen, gave them the assurance that the cause of God would triumph. But what is that faith? That faith is not a condition which man must fulfill. That faith is not a good work of man which merits anything. Faith is God's gift. Faith is God's powerful instrument. As we read in Ephesians 2 verse 8, By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Faith is a certain knowledge of what God has revealed and a hearty confidence in the God of our salvation. Israel's faith was in the promise of God as it was manifested in type and shadow in the Old Testament times. Our faith is in the promise of God in its spiritual reality and fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. God promised Gideon that he would deliver the Midianites into his hand. And God, in his word, promises to give us the victory over all our enemies. Faith clings to the power of God alone. Faith sings of victory in the midst of apparent defeat. But that faith is active. What about us, beloved? What kind of soldier are you? You hear the trumpet, the trumpet of the word of God calling you to battle, the battle of faith, every day again? Are you sometimes afraid? Do you tremble when you see the might and power of the enemy? The devil and his whole dominion of darkness? The world steeped in iniquity and immorality and unbelief. And your own sinful flesh. Are you inclined to be concerned first of all with your own comforts? Rather than the cause of God, the cause of the church, the cause of covenant education? Are you spiritually alert Or are we sometimes spiritually careless? Do the things of the kingdom have the priority in our lives? Are you ready, spiritually prepared for battle each day? Also as young people, even as children? Are you ready to be identified as a soldier of the cross? Do you dare to be different, to stand up? for what the Bible teaches, for the cause of the living God from day to day? Is your trust in God, in your faithful Savior, to lead you and guide you and give you the victory 
Beloved, we cannot fight in our own strength. The soldier in the army of our Lord fights only by faith. For faith gives all the glory to God. The soldier in the army of our Lord knows that numbers matter not in the battle he wages. He knows that in the battle of faith it's not the larger or better equipped army that wins. He knows that in the spiritual battles in which he fights, the victory is only by faith. He knows that God will surely smite his enemies, that in Christ the victory is assured. And so he glories only in Jehovah as the God of his salvation. And so by faith we go forward. Though few in number, though against tremendous odds, though in what to the natural eye is foolishness, with torch and trumpet as our weapons, by faith we receive the victory. For if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we come unto thee thankful for thy word. May it be a shining light upon our pathway, young and old, in the week which lies before us and in all our earthly days, that by thy grace and spirit we may be manifest as soldiers of the cross, following him who is the captain of our salvation. Even Jesus Christ, pardon our faltering in the fight. Forgive our sins. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.